everyone, I'm Peter Kenyon and welcome to Unpeel.press. This is a podcast to talk about food culture and particularly food culture in northeast Victoria. I hope you enjoy the show. Food culture underpins northeast Victoria. It defines our landscape and it gives us our unique character. But many people in rural Australia, even here in our bountiful region, suffer from food insecurity. The COVID-19 pandemic has bloated these figures enormously. And while our cities have great agencies like Food Bank, Second Bite and OzHarvest, outside the metro areas, finding help is even more fraught. Statistics from before COVID-19 show that Australians living outside our big cities have an almost 25% increased risk of living in poverty and are a third more likely to experience food insecurity. Ronnie Kahn from OzHarvest has even said that official figures underestimate the number of Australians who go to bed hungry. She said that 5 million Australians needed some type of food relief in the year before the pandemic hit, and since then an additional half million Australians have joined them. With the end of the JobKeeper allowance coming up, it's estimated that many more people will need food relief in coming months. So we're really fortunate to have a major food relief agency operating in our region and covering a huge area across the border region. Albury Wodonga Regional Food Chair works hard to plug the gaps in our food system. And I spoke recently to its CEO, Peter Matthews, at their new premises in West Wodonga. And I began by asking him what they do. What we do is, in the first instance, we rescue food. So we collect food from a range of suppliers, uh, some of whom are giving us old food that they no longer can sell, and others are giving us food that's no longer fit for their purpose, i.e. label change, brand deletions, etc. So that's our rescued food. And then we get food donated, which isn't rescued, like Uncle Toby's. They give us food straight out of their warehouse that would go to a supermarket the day before, and that food's delivered to us, and then we then incorporate into our stock. And then we have we go to farmers and pick get food from them. Some of that, the the produce is not going to market; it's surplus to their needs, and we bring that food back here as well. Mm. And in certain environments, we purchase food. So all of that food is assembled at our facility, which is essentially a warehouse, uh, and we then provide that food to agencies, community organisations and schools to use in the community. So for people to make it available to people who don't have enough food or don't have any food. Mm. And so the purpose, so we, we are a warehouse which provides food to the emergency food release sector in our community, which is nine local government areas on both sides of the New South Wales Victorian border. So what are the latest figures in our region on food insecurity, on hunger, and how does that compare to cities? Right, well, we've... There's about... um, The data tells us there's about 15% of people in our community are on the edge of poverty. And so up to 15% of people can drop in and out of poverty in a given year, Mm -hmm. which is about um, 25,000, 30,000 people... Um, some of whom may need food support over the full year and some may recover their situation and only need it for a short-term period. So that compared to the cities, which generally we're about 3 to 4% 
higher, there's more three to four percent of the total population more vulnerable to, to food insecurity than in the city. And that in part is to do with a lot of older people, in, in generally in some of the smaller, smaller towns, the demographics different. And we have people who move to, to smaller towns uh, f for economic reasons. They can buy a house, say in Chilton or something like that, where, whereas they can't afford anywhere in Melbourne within 40 kilometres of the CBD. And so all those people come here with insecure sort of backgrounds, if you like, and, and that perpetuates as well because they can't find a permanent job or they, they, they're underemployed. So they're that's one of the reasons why there's a greater number of people in regional areas who are, are vulnerable. They're, yeah, they're already vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Um, how has COVID affected operations? Spectacularly. So there's, there's more people who need help? Is that an assumption that's correct? In the, when, when, the, when the lockdown was announced and before the government had announced the job keeper reform and their, their, their job seeker adjustments, the demand spiked dramatically because suddenly people felt incredibly vulnerable and they wanted to get food. The, the run on toilet the paper. The run on toilet paper, mm. thank you, the hoarding. Mm. So people also who were in food insecure came to food share and they, they wanted to fill their coffers as well and we had some organisations asking for 50 hampers because they wanted to give those to their the people in their community mm. even though they weren't food insecure at the moment they just wanted to ensure that they wouldn't become food insecure so that and then the government announced particularly the, the, the adjustments to job seeker where they doubled the amount that was available and that suppressed the demand spectacularly because people were able to go and buy food with just in the way any member of the community would to the, go to the supermarket. Did you run out during that period? We didn't run out because food share in Albury Wodonga, we came from the bushfire emergency mm. and we had had a momentary bit of calm and then COVID-19 arrived. So in that situation, we had been well supplied with food for the bushfire. We'd had a huge food drive ourselves, and we had our partners in Melbourne giving us huge quantities of food. So food bank and second bite. And so we were incredibly well stocked mm. and that enabled us to go into that situation with, with that spike in demand and we were able to meet all that. And then food bank and second bite came in again strongly to support us with more food and we were getting rescued food locally as well. So no, we, we didn't have that situation where we were running out of food, but our partner organisations in Bendigo and Shepparton were running out of food because they didn't have that huge surplus that had occurred during the bushfire emergency and, and they weren't able to access um, the, the food like Second Bite and mm. Food Bank, whereas we were able to do that. So we were in a fortunate position to have that situation and it's lucky we were because a whole lot of another one of the impacts of COVID-19 was the agencies who had a large cohort of people over 60 many of them had to close their doors because if you remember the, the federal government said people over 70 should think about not coming outside and people between 60 and 70 should think about if they've got any chronic health issues not you know to remain locked down essentially and that closed about three quarters of the agencies in Albury-Wodonga. Mm -hmm. And that's when we 
we entered the marketplace where we, uh, we, we met the need by going direct to the client. So the client could phone us up and ask for a, a hamper and we would deliver that to them. Either us directly or some of the, the agencies that did remain open, they, they acted as agents on our behalf to distribute those hampers. So at that point, that's when our model changed. Before that, we hadn't ever really supplied the client directly from food share. Although in the bushfire emergency, we did. So we had experience of supplying the client directly. We but only a, recently. But only recently, mm. only since January or December 26. Mm. So prior to that, all our, all our efforts were su in supplying all those agencies, community groups and schools to get the food into the community. So it's quite a different organisation now as a result. A absolutely, and it's going to change. The, the change will be permanent because we've decided that we will continue to support individuals in the community and, and make uh, hampers available to them. Either they can come and pick them up or we will deliver them to them. And that's a permanent change. We see that as a permanent change. Gee, that's a very big, a big change, something else to, to manage. Peter, what are Albury-Wodonga Regional Food Share's key challenges? Well, obviously I've mentioned the fact that food supply for us was strong, but for our partner agencies in Bendigo and Shepparton, they really suffered. So on an ongoing basis, we have to work hard at getting our food. So, we are looking to do more with local producers, and that's one of the, the critical elements to getting fresh locally. We know it's, it's fresher, and we know it's provenance, and we know it's available. It's just a matter of getting the logistics around that. And will you pay for that? We might. Payment issue is, a, is problematic for us because if a grower or a group of growers or a sector of the food industry realises that we're willing to pay, then they will, won't necessarily make donations with the same frequency as they do because they'll hold out until we say we'll, we'll make you an offer. And so that's, and that applies across the whole of the emergency food relief sector. So that, that nervousness relates to food bank and second bite and the food shares at the moment, we can't afford to buy food anyway, so we still rely on the generosity of those in the community. So that is a future uh, challenge that we're going to have to I suppose uh, the other side manage. of that, though, is that a lot of growers are really... Well, there aren't a, a huge number of growers of fresh produce in our region, and a lot of them are not particularly wealthy themselves. And there's often an expectation that if you produce food on a farm, you've got bucket loads of it and an excess of it and it's easy to just give it away because it doesn't actually have a lot of value when of course it does have value. That's correct mm. and, that, and that's a very complex issue which mm. you, we could spend a lot of time discussing because producers, we know that up to 30% of the, the total food produced in a given crop doesn't make it to the market and it, can, it varies amongst, you know, depending on what type of farming that you're doing. But there's a lot of wastage in orchards, we know that. Horticulture, not so much, because they, if they manage their cropping, they can grow exactly what they think the market will demand. And then you've got the broad acre, beans and, and, and grains and so forth, and rice, which 
it's it's a challenge for us to get access to that. Although we recently got access, a, a generous chickpea grower gave the food shares plural about twenty bins of fresh chickpeas. Oh, I think I saw that on the news. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So yeah. you did. Yeah. So that, and we've got the chickpeas here. Um, they're uncooked, so people have got to know how to prepare them, and mm. which is not hard, but. Um, People just so yeah so they're all of that look it's a very immature sector for us as in getting food from mm. from local growers because we've only really been active in that space really active in the last two years but we uh, historically food share has been able to access some apples from Batlow and a little bit of produce in the Ovens Valley but generally. We haven't had huge access, but we've recently been much more active in the Goulburn Valley and along the Murray, and we've we've found quite a lot of cooperative growers there giving us food. Giving and us for listeners fruit. who don't know, the Goulburn Valley is a much more industrial scale Correct. production it's the, system, whereas ours here is much more yeah. smaller artisan type production. Correct. And, mm. There's about eight big food factories in the Goulburn Valley, mm. with most of the tomato products that are produced in Australia come from in those, mm. those factories. I'm going a bit off script, but I think a very interesting aspect of the food system in Australia that I think of and food relief and food policy is there's often an assumption that rural people would naturally have better access to fresh food because they just live by, by default, they live in rural areas. And for most policy in Australia and most people thinking from the city, rural areas equal food production and so we don't need to worry about them so much whereas actually the paradox is that people in rural areas have far greater food insecurity and there's far more issues for organisations like yours to have to deal with that. That's correct because the whole the whole industrial production process is about producing massive amounts of food which goes either direct to the factory or if it's grown for fresh distribution, goes straight to the, the large wholesale markets in Melbourne and Sydney. This is from this region. 95% mm. of the product that's grown in this region, you have no access to at all. Mm. The suppliers have no intention of making any of that food available to the local marketplace. And paradoxically, where it does fall off the conveyor belt production system is in the city, and so you're supplied essentially from the city we, with products that are grown in regional and rural Australia. But it's all about the so-called efficiencies of the distribution system. So um, Kelly Brothers, a large horticultural farm along the Murray River, have three B doubles, which they load up every night and drive two to Sydney and one to Melbourne, or two to Melbourne and one to Sydney. And their whole production structure is built around those trucks leaving 7pm or whatever to get to the marketplaces. And there's no thought of how, of ever making that product available locally. And what do they grow? They grow vegetables, essentially. Mm -hmm. So everything, all seasonal. They grow huge quantities of pumpkin. Um, they, they grow a lot of root crops, so onions, mm -hmm. uh, leeks. So uh, we've got a lot of this stuff growing locally we but have. we just don't get access to it we don't mm. because the, the, the all this all the production so the tomato growers in the Goulburn Valley 
85% of what they grow goes straight to the big factories to put stuff in tins and the rest goes straight to the market in Melbourne. And then the surplus or the overflow, if, if there is some, comes back up to us in big in trucks. So it's gone down and come back up and the, the carbon invested in that stock is just growing as it, each time it's Well, moved. and there's freshness and a whole heap of issues as well, well around absolutely. that. L- losing the vitamins and the, mm. the trace elements. It is a huge issue which we confront. So we just try to insert ourselves and say, well, give us 10 bins of pumpkin mm. and they don't even miss that. It's sort of, it's almost irrelevant. Because of the scale that they because operate Because of the scale at, at yeah, which yeah. they operate. Mm. But we ask a local organic grower to give us, mm. you know, 10 and that's pumpkins. And the, that's their annual production. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but some comply um, and some assist us and... Uh, we do very well with local egg producers. Mm. Uh, we, we're beneficiary of that locally. That because there's lots of small egg growers who seem to be able to distribute their eggs locally as well. Because a lot of supermarkets will take local eggs, mm. and so we get the overflow, which is great. Mm. So Peter, just to finish up, what does a good food system look like, and how do we get there? Uh, that's a huge question. For, there's, there's two elements of, um, well, a good system, I, I think the ideal system would we have safe, fresh, plentiful, sustainable, fruit, reasonably priced, available all year round, obviously with the normal seasonal cycles, and made available locally as well as statewide, if you like. Um, and from from food shares point of view, we'd like to see the final little bit of that formula is that the growers, the local growers, whether they be big or small, set aside a small amount of that to donate to us at the week so we can distribute food to people who can't afford to buy food no matter how low the price is. But when I say the price, it's a fair price. It's got to be fair for the growers and for the consumers. And so if we had that operating, then I think we'd all be better off. We'd be eating better food at a fair price so the farmers are being able to sustain their production. And from the charity's point of view, we get a little, we get the surpluses or when there's a bit of extra, they choose to, to grow a row for us, you know, mm. like 100 metres of, 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 of carrots mm. and uh, give them all to us. What a great idea. Well, that's it for today. I'm Peter Kenyon. Thank you for listening. Please leave a comment or a suggestion at my website, unpeeled.press, or search Unpeeled Press on Facebook or Twitter. Special thank you to Charles Sturt University for its support in getting this podcast underway through their Community University Partnership Grants. Special shout out too to CSU's Dr. Serena Killam and Sustain Australia's Dr. Nick Rose. Theme music by Avocado Junkie. See you later. <laughs>